You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Anookshook Professional Dog Food. Welcome to episode 88, part two of my conversation with Robert Poor from Borderland Upland. And this podcast is also presented to you by OnX Hunt, the most comprehensive public and private land ownership data mapping tool in the world. Many tools and layers like crop types, tree species, waypoints, and so much more. Uh, the Onyx Elite membership is going to give you a ton of access to um, a whole bunch of benefits, uh, discounts on awesome gear. Um, if you're not using Onyx Hunt already, I highly encourage you get over to onyxhunt.com and sign up today. And be sure to check out Anookshook Professional Dog Food, the only sporting dog, high-performance dog food I'm feeding my string of dogs. have been using this for several years, and Anookshook has delivered and lived up to and surpassed all the hype you've been hearing about online, through friends, kennels, breeders, all that. And it has just been a high-quality premium food. Uh, I've been able to cut back several cups of food for my dogs, still keeping weight on them, during season, during trialing, whatever it might be, these dogs are in best shape they've been in personally in a long, long time. And thanks to Anookshook Professional Dog Food, they have four incredible formulas. Check them out at anookshookpro.com. And last but not least, Final Rise Gear. I am so pumped and proud to be representing the Final Rise brand. They have been producing year after year quality premium upland gear that has made for the hunter, the bird hunter who is putting on miles after miles, season after season, and wants gear to hold up to the elements of how you are hunting. You gotta look no further than finalrise.com. Check out the Summit Vest, the Summit XT Vest, which is brand new, the Sidekick Vest, as well as the Legacy. So many vest options, which are totally customizable. Um, I'm pretty darn confident you're gonna find something that works for you and your setup uh, so check them out at finalrise.com. I first started listening to this podcast a while back after randomly stumbling upon it. As someone who always wanted a pointing dog, but never thought I'd be able to have one for a variety of reasons, I still really enjoyed living vicariously through the podcast. Fast forward to 2022 bird season, when I had a ton of opportunity, I missed due to not having a dog. I reached out to Will and asked about getting a GSP. He was very helpful and encouraging when chatting with me about getting a dog. I explained my wants and needs in a dog, and he recommended I look at a Brittany. Uh-oh. <laughs> I did, and I was sold. He was even nice enough to put me in touch with a very reputable breeder slash trainer, and two months later, I was on the plane to go pick up my nine-month-old started Brittany. Now that I have a bird dog, now that I have a dog, I enjoy this show a whole lot more in new ways, and I find myself invested in the topics even more. Thank you, Will, for putting this whole thing together and creating a great community resource. Well, thank you very, very much. That was from the handle is Public Land Hunting. It was a review left on the podcast, April twenty second, two thousand twenty three. Um, yes, I do steer people to Britney sometimes, not all the time, 
but uh, it sounds like this worked out really, really well for you, my friend. I am so glad um, you got your first bird dog and are journeying through um, journeying through this experience and kind of figuring it out on your, on your own. Uh, it's been so fun chatting with you. So thank you for leaving that review. I just wanted to kind of highlight one of our reviews that have been left on Apple Podcasts. Um, definitely head over there. If you have not already, we are so close to 200 reviews. We have 191 reviews as of uh, mid or no, late May, 191. We're nine away. I think we can get there. I think we can get to 200. Um, What happens at 200? I have no idea. I have no idea. The Apple gods of the algorithm universe, I don't know. I don't know what will happen. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. Um, But um, I do appreciate um, each and every every review. Um, Reviews that are are super positive, reviews that are uh, more constructive feedback. I read every single one of them. I love uh, getting a pulse on my audience. Um, how you guys are doing, what the show means to you. So um, definitely head over there if you have not already. I know we have some new listeners here over the last several months. So if you've not done that already, we'd greatly, greatly appreciate it. Hey guys, just a few more days and then the Gunner giveaway is going to close. Make sure you sign up on patreon.com, become a Patreon supporter of the show, and you'll be entered into the Gunner Fan Kit 2.0 giveaway, Upland Rookie hat, stickers, all that good stuff headed your way. Um, So I'll announce the winner on May 30th. So time is ticking. Now get over to patreon.com, become a supporter today, and uh, definitely help support. uh, It supports the show, um, but also you get to uh, a chance to win some sweet sweet gear. Um, so we'll do some more giveaways over the summer and as we head into fall, of course, but uh, make sure you get signed up soon. Hey, we're going to dive right back into part two of my conversation with Robert Poor. Uh, I had a blast chatting with him and uh, the conversation got lengthy. So we decided to break it up into two parts and this is going to be part two. So enjoy and uh, hey, don't forget to share it with a friend. Uh, take some time to share it on Facebook, um, Instagram, not just this episode, but any episode that you found helpful. Um, again, that's a great way to help support the show. Uh, whether you're a Patreon supporter, whether you um, just are subscribed, that's, that's another way to make sure you support the show. But another way is to um, share it on social, me- social media and uh, maybe just share a highlight or two, what uh, maybe something you got out of an episode in the past. Um, you know, what impact has had. So whatever it might be always helps to get the word out there. Like this review said, um, it sounds like from this, this guy who wrote the review, I think Tim, um, sounds like he kind of stumbled upon it randomly. So whether that was, he heard about it from a friend, saw it, saw it on someone's social media post, whatever it might be, um, definitely helps, uh, helps grow. So anyways, I'm rambling. We're going to jump back into the conversation with Robert. Here we go. Awesome. Um, what uh what was last year like for you what was last season what was a um what was maybe a standout memory for you something that uh maybe you learned last year uh, as you're you're going through your hunting season um yeah well um so we had a, we had a pretty good season down here as far as uh hatches of our, our three separate quail um had some pretty special days with with a couple of dogs um Fortunately and unfortunately, I had two dogs in their puppy season. Uh, so a couple of days that jump out at me, opening day of the season, uh, I get off work at 8 a.m., which is kind of an odd deal. Uh, grab the dogs, blast out. It's going to be hot by 11. Mm. Found two cubbies right off the bat, and Opal went on the warpath, stabbed me a few birds, shot some birds. It was too hot, left. But just like the perfect yeah, season is finally here. 
kind of, um, yeah, you can relax a little bit. Like, okay, yeah, we, we yeah, found like, a covey. <laughs> the birds were cooperative and she just stabbed and I shot like five birds off of five points and it was just perfect. Get in the truck. Let's go home. It's too damn hot. And then right <laughs> after that, we saw a rattlesnake. So it was perfect timing to get out of there. <laughs> get out of Dodge. Yeah. Um, the entire dove season over that little cocker Bart, I want to say we shot like 186 doves over them and retrieved 186 doves. Wow. And I, wow. Over a puppy and his puppy season. I'm pretty happy with that. Um, and then I had a couple of, uh, if you shoot all three species, Arizona quail in a day or on a trip, whatever they refer to that as a, like a, a quail slam, Arizona quail slam or a trifecta. Okay. I've been just finding weird little ways to do that because I live right in the middle of that okay. stuff. And so this year I said, I'm going to do it with a 410 and I'm going to do it in an afternoon. And went out and was able to do that over, over Opal, the Brock and Bart, the Cocker, which was really fun oh. with a 410. Um, That's cool. Opening day of Mern season was a zoo down here. Just so many people, so many travelers, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Sure. Went out and shot, the limit's eight. I went out and shot five off of five points. Wow. Loaded up the truck, went home, had some lunch, had a little nap, and then said, why everybody else is Mern's quail hunting, I'm going to go desert quail hunting. <laughs> and managed to find find a couple of scalies and gambles and shoot a, shoot a slam that day too on the opening day of Mern season, which was a lot of fun oh, too. Oh, that's awesome, man. Congrats. Yeah. Um, that's super cool. Do all the quail open up on the same date or they're different dates? They don't, they don't because, uh, Mern's quail, uh, their breeding season is so different. So like, uh, the desert quail gambles and scalies, they rely on heavily on winter and spring moisture. So think October through March rain and come March, they're starting to feel sexy and they're talking to each other and they're doing their whole thing, clutching up that kind of a thing. The gambles and scalies Mern's reproduce off of monsoon season, which is, Roughly uh, June 15th through September 30th, that kind of a deal. Okay. We get heavy, heavy rains during that time, and they clutch off of that moisture. And with that being said, an October opener, you would be shooting fuzzy little hatchling Mern's quail. Uh, okay, okay. Off that opening until roughly the first Friday in December. So middle of October, we get our desert quail opener. First Friday in December, we get our Mern's quail opener, and then they run concurrently through about Valentine's Day-ish. Something like that. So we don't get to shoot gotcha. the, the pretty special okay. quail until December, which is fine. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And That's then awesome, man. It jumped out off of me is, um, like I said, Luke was, uh, and it's pretty accustomed to, to setters. Um, kind of a slow starter, but boy, oh boy, I took him out. Um, and it was the day that I really felt like he put things together as a puppy. I uh, had some had some really clicking moments. There's some pictures on my Instagram that I just absolutely love. There's this big grassland. You see that setter tail sickled up like that and just mm. beautiful mountain in the background. That, that's he, why people get the setter. <laughs> and he wore some scalies out that day. He absolutely wore them out that day to the point where I was like, you know what, buddy? We've had enough. We're, we're riding the, the wind streak. Let's call it a day and go home. So, yeah, some really special nice. days dealing with two puppies. I that's mean, awesome. That's stuff awesome. that you're burn into your memory forever so absolutely yeah especially especially yeah. with young dogs and just getting mm -hmm. that experience with them and then get to you know getting to build upon that for oh, for the next season I, so that's i shot exciting. a damn blue grouse i shot a damn blue grouse over the cocker that was cool too oh that's all in arizona yeah in arizona so that's he, awesome he i watched him because it's thick cover eyeball deep thick cover um mostly like uh briars it's horrific stuff. The stuff we have in Arizona, there's not many birds and it's super <laughs> tough hunting. But I watched mm. his little zigzag on the, on the GPS and you can hear him 
you know, hood ratting around in there. And then I watched, I heard him line out and then this blue grouse blows up and I shot this really nice crosser and he went down off the damn mountain cause they like to fly out downhill. And I was like, I don't, I don't sure. find that bird. I don't know if we're going to find that bird. That's a, it's a nightmare. It's just straight drop off. And so I went to where the bird sure. flushed and went in a straight line where I thought that bird flew off to. And I could hear the panting change from <sighs> to muffled because he had a bird in his mouth and that little booger. Delivered oh. it. So he found it, produced it for the gun and retrieved it. And, uh, Dang. That was over, over too. a young little cocker. Yeah, over a cocker. So, I mean, the b- damn bird was almost the size of him. That's so, so cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say those things are those things got some size to them. I love them. I love yeah, them. That's I awesome. Work, I have a ton of them here. I just started hunting them about four or five years ago, and it's just a really nice being in Arizona. And it's hot, hot, hot. It's really nice to get up to the high country. It's the only place in Arizona I can run dogs in September, and um, mm. everything just way too warm. Unless you're like literally up at four o'clock in the morning, even the evenings are too warm. So you kind of got to get up. Sure. If you want to run dogs through the day, you kind of got to go see some high country. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, if I, if, if there's any, ever a delay at all, uh, Robert, um, I don't know if it's my internet, maybe or yours, it's, it's getting a little choppy. So if yeah. I ever seem like, I'm not moving. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I can still hear you, yeah, yeah. but, uh, just, just want to make you aware. Okay. Um, but I can, I can hear you just fine. So if it gets a little weird, um, yeah, that's perfect. why, um, all right, we're going to move in here. I'm just looking at my notes real quick. Cool. Cool. Okay. Um, and then, uh, last thing before we kind of start, uh, got a few more questions here for you as we start to wrap up. Um, are you, are you going to get out for any, any Turkey this spring? And, and what's the, uh, what's the Turkey scene like in, uh, in Arizona? Okay. So we'll, we'll start with that because it might explain the second, second part. So there are absolutely some turkeys in Arizona. The majority of the state is, uh, Miriam's birds. There are a few Rios up North and, uh, a handful of Goulds down South, but all of the turkeys in Arizona are a draw. And with the scarcity of the Rios in Arizona and the scarcity of the Goulds in Arizona, it's a very, very difficult draw. Um, I'm not going to say like on the lines of sheep or anything like that, but very, very similar to um, maybe a tough antelope tag as far as uh, the Goulds and the Rio tag draw. Miriam's, you can pick up a tag about every other year, that kind of a thing. Um, With that being said, Arizona did not see fit to give me a tag this year. Um, so I'm packing up and going to a a neighboring state with some over the counter opportunities and gonna, gonna chase a a few turkeys literally after we wrap this up. So (laughs) is is the truck all packed truck is loaded. There's a big dumb grin on my face and, um, we're, we're, we're going to go chase some turkeys for, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 days, something like that. And it's a, it's a much needed reset between, um, Bird season and kind of the uh, dog days of summer where it's too hot to do anything. <laughs> yeah, you're you're, com- you're coming into that those summer months. It's yeah, gonna gotta, be uh, gotta, pretty brutal. And like I said, I'm mildly feral, so I, every now and then I gotta I gotta unplug and and go get back on a diurnal clock and 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 hear some turkeys gobble that kind of a thing and just be away from people for for, for a bit. But I kind of like the the backcountry turkey hunting and that kind of yeah. stuff. I, I was going to ask your, your style of turkey hunting. Are you kind of run and gun? Or are you setting up a, a blind? Well, What's your kind of strategy? I'm not a blind guy. 
I'm not opposed to them, um, especially for like youth hunts, that kind of a thing. And as time goes on, um, I'm becoming more of a, more of a mental minimalist, even when it comes to like decoys and that kind of a thing. Hmm. Not, I'm not super in love with fanning or any of that good stuff or, or the quote unquote reaping. Um, mm. not my thing. Um, and I think it's the state's right to determine how they manage that, that whole deal. Um, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, calling. Okay. But that being said, I'd like to know that I've gotten the best of that Turkey. I spoke his language. I've gotten the best of them. And so about six, eight years ago, I started questioning whether I was doing that or the, $350 worth of Dave Smith decoys was doing that. And so I've kind of subtracted that mm. stuff, from my setup and largely kind of going with a vest full of calls and a shotgun and some camo and trying to, trying to get. Okay. The- so, so you've kind of moved away from the decoy side of things. Decoys blinds the whole nine yards. And I want to, I want to create a scenario that's too good to believe for that gobbler. And he comes in anyways. And, uh, that's okay. That, cool. My own, that's my take on it. Like I said, not right, wrong, indifferent, how anybody does it. Um, but that's, that's, I want to know that I beat it. And I honestly don't mind losing to the Turkey. I don't mind watching them leave. Yeah. I've shot enough turkeys. I would like a few more obviously, but at the same point in time, um, nothing, nothing gets my blood fired up like a bad Turkey in the sense of, uh, there was a bird three or four years ago. I worked for six days straight before he finally decided he wanted to go for a ride in the truck. And, uh, it's super <laughs> because of that. So, it, it, that's that's more what I'm into now. Um, shooting a lot of sure uh, four ten this year. I'm gonna try to try to knock down a okay. turkey four ten, and I put some pattern pictures up on Instagram and uh, been dabbling with that, and that's a lot of fun. And the whole the only reason I grabbed up the four ten is one, it's a really light gun to pack through the mountains out west, and mm. if it limits my range and makes fifty yard turkeys unavailable to me, that's even better because, like I said, mm. I'm walking away and winning. That's okay. Yeah. I want 35 yard. And right. So I think, I think you said that you've, I mean, you've been talking Turkey on your, uh, on your Instagram here for a few weeks. And I think you, you've been kind of saying like, it's okay if the Turkey wins, right? Like it's for me, okay. For me, it if is. Turkey wins that round. I'm okay with that. I think there's a, a, a kind of a cultural cancer going on that like, you have to have success. You have to sell the camel. You have to sell this product, mm-hmm. that kind of a deal. And, um, anytime that the Turkey, it's unacceptable for the Turkey to win then it's obviously losing. And I think the majority of the time, the wildlife should win, um, in our endeavors. But that's, once again, that's just my take on it. Um, I'm not, I'm not here to get preachy or get on a soapbox or anything like that, but I think most of the time the wildlife should win. Even when we're hunting cubby birds, you know, we might knock down one or two, but leave the rest of them alone. Leave the rest of them alone. Um, the wildlife's been losing a lot lately with, whether it's be habitat or weather or anything like that. I don't need to contribute to, the wildlife losing too damn much. Sure. That's a, that's a great mindset to look at it. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. No matter what animal you're chasing species, birds, big game, that that's what I think brings us back for me, at least like, yeah, I might have a really bad day. I didn't shoot, shoot a bird, whatever. It, it helps me want to come back another time. It, oh, it's I, the chase. It's the, and then, you know, oh, it didn't happen today, but you know what? I'm going to go back tomorrow. Well, and like I said, I had that turkey that I worked for six days straight before I finally convinced him to go for a ride in the pickup truck. Um, that turkey will always stick with me because he was honorary and because, hmm. man, oh, man, the, the magic eight ball just never shook out to, like, my side until it did. And it just made it so much sweeter. Sure. Uh, 
it wasn't a particularly great bird or anything like that, but I decided that it was going to be that turkey or bust. I had other turkeys gobbling in other places. I said, saddled on that one. I said, I'm either going to take him home or I'm not. That's fine. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. And, um, I think it just, it, it makes the rewards higher. Um, kind of like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, if a strutter was hung out in a field, he was, he was bulletproof. You couldn't do anything about him. And now folks are sneaking out and they're, they're hammering those smart turkeys. <laughs> and, uh, I don't, I don't know what that's doing to population dynamics on a bird that's already kind of struggling nationally, but we're killing a lot of the smart ones that we sure. kill. And, um, even with TSS and stuff like that, you know, a 60 yard bird, that, they, that used to be, well, goodbye. And I hope I see you tomorrow. That's not the case. A lot right. more those birds, those go birds go for a ride in the truck. And so I think, um, kind of like even Western antelope or mule deer, they, they haven't adapted as quick as we've adapted how ways to figure out killing them. So mm. it's just, it's just my take on it that, um, like I said, I don't mind if they win. Matter of fact, they're supposed to win most of the time. And, um, like I said, I know where they sell butter balls and I'm okay. I'll, I will, <laughs> uh, with that, without that. And I'm not, I'm not trying to sell anything. I'm not looking for any clout associated with that. So it's okay if they win. Yeah, that's all yeah. right. Hey, this this is maybe kind of along the kind of lines of what we're talking about right now, but kind of want to move into social media a little bit. And again, the good, the bad, the indifferent. Yeah. Um, again, personally for you, I mean, what maybe what's your take just on social media and what it is again, good or bad, doing for hunting the hunting space. I I love it, but uh, I love it for a, a a couple of reasons that are that are probably very similar to a lot of reasons of your listeners. Um, it has made connections like this one never would have happened 10 years ago with me, me just kind of BSing with you in a recorded format that never would have happened 10 years ago. Sure. And it brings like-minded people together. And I love that. I have met some really great people that I consider family, if not, you know, really, really good friends because of this, that never would have happened with social media. Uh, I think it's, dramatically shortened the learning curve on dog training and gear and all that. And it's created a competitive market for like folks like Matt from final rise to advance our equipment because my entire sure. upland upbringing up until about five years ago was, you know, you go grab the vest off the shelf and that's what everybody ran. And they were terrible, 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 terrible pieces of gear. But because of this open space and every open format, everybody can look at it and then people can analyze things and, oh, he's running that and that's very successful for him, whether it be a training method, a shotgun, you know, whatever. I think it's making the world smaller and and good that way. Now there's the negative with that of like hot spotting and all that horrific stuff. Um, it's making the world smaller too. So like the bird that I... Uh, and known for targeting the most lives in a very small section of the world period. Hmm. And, um, it's became super, super popular in vogue. And because the world is smaller, it's a lot more accessible to people. I bet you, if you ask hmm. folks 10 years ago, what, what a Mern quail was, nobody had any idea what the hell they were. Nobody had heard of them except locals. Now, with that being said, it's really nice to share those opportunities of terrific dog work and a beautiful bird in beautiful country with sure there's times that it's absolutely going to be abused. Everybody's pulled up to a piece of beehaw and just seen it absolutely pillaged. That's what they're turning a lot of wild bird country into all over. I mean, Eastern Montana was blown up this year. Southern Arizona was blown up this year. So there's absolutely some negative with that that never would have happened without social media. Um, I think 
the only way to combat that is to really focus on the ethics side of things and uh, focus on, you know, being good, be, being good patrons of the land and focusing on covey ethics because there's nothing wrong with people coming down here and utilizing the resource. Hell, they pay taxes on it. Sure. Glad you're down here pumping money in the local economy, all that cool stuff that the Vogue stuff that people like to say when they're selling sure. bird hunts. But we really need to focus on like the uh, covey ethics and sustainable harvest side of things. Mm. Yeah, no, that makes that makes total sense because uh, yeah, it's it's a, a state or a region or things like that will get. Um, like you're saying, kind of blown up or people are traveling from all over, which is good, which is great for, you know, you can travel and hunt birds. That's, that's awesome. But, um, kind of on the responsibility side, do you think it's just a sheer number game of like, there's maybe too many people and, uh, and that number of people are maybe aren't, don't have yeah, to eth- ethics I, I, or that largely there's, there's too damn many people on this planet, but, <laughs> but besides that, <laughs> for, for the amount of birds that we, yeah, besides are, that they're here. Um, let's wear a smile when we interact with each other. Let's not, uh, do dick things to other hunters, cut them off, that kind of stuff. And really Mm. focus on, we're going to participate in this, but we're going to participate with this in a responsible manner. We're Mm. not going to leave a mess. We're not going to make sense. And with, go ahead. Sorry, you're cut. You're cutting out a second. Repeat what you were saying Um, a second ago. I'm trying to remember what I said, but, uh, I think. Be patrons of, of, of the resource and making sure that we're not littering. We're not overshooting cubbies when it comes to cubby birds. We're not cutting other hunters off and, and kind of buttholing other people because it's a competitive thing, that kind of a thing. I think just bringing maybe a higher set of ethics and appreciation for special places that bird hunting brings us to might make everything a little bit better. And there's another dark side of that social social media thing where it's um i think a lot of folks have found a venue to get popular and famous quickly um and that's the hunting world in general um where there just wasn't that much attention to it before um if you wanted to be you know rich and famous in the hunting world there had to be a whole production crew with it now somebody with an iphone can snap some pictures put an inspiring quote and they're the messiah of the upland world kind of a deal and um largely trading on clout on something where i don't know that that was a thing in the past sure like that's a whole new thing i, I mean not just our industry or whatever you, you want to call it but yeah, yeah. It's, it's a thing you you can you can have and I, I, moms who do reels about going to target and that's yeah. a thing now yeah and I, I i don't know that we can get pandora back in the box but we can we can manage the business of dealing with this many people in the in the uplands better than we are and mm. it's one of the reasons i've i used to never really hunt with a lot of people i hunted with my own little select group and now if people hit me up on Instagram or something like that, hey, are you free? It used to always just be a blanket no. The birds are there. Enjoy yourself. No. But um, in order to try to spread at least my appreciation for these special places, if they're in the neighborhood, a lot of times those are becoming yeses now so that I can show them why they're mm. special and why I handle business the way that I do on these birds. And it's because of, yeah. you know, covey numbers being small, that kind of a thing. If you... You know, if you shoot merge quail, for example, you know, if you have a 10 bird covey and you shoot four on the rise, you know, a couple, couple of guys wearing into that covey, you've knocked 40% of that covey off. Sure. Anybody else hunts that covey again for the rest of the season, you may have killed that covey period. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, 
but if I can, if I can show those people that resource and, um, from my perspective of why this is special and why we do things the way we do, it's kind of the, uh, force multiplier mindset. Maybe they come down in five years with a couple of buddies and they go, Hey, we did this because of this, this, and this. And it's just kind of sure. maybe spreading a little bit more positive message in a, in a firsthand experience kind of a deal. Absolutely. Uh, can you uh, kind of last thing while we're on this topic here, kind of un- unpack about, um, uh, hot spotting and why there's maybe some things people can do, um, do better about hotspotting and just why is that an issue? I don't think I've ever talked about that on, on this podcast, at least. Well, you know, why, why is it bad for someone to hotspot? Let's, let's take someone who's maybe new to hunting, new to this whole game. And they might think, well, well, why is that a bad thing? Well, um, there's a, a a thousand different ways to answer that. So like I have hunting spots that I inherited and I'm going to say inherited because my dad showed them that kind of a thing. So they're very near and dear places to me and my heart and my family. And so when I take somebody in there, that's something special. They've been vetted, that kind of a deal. And when they blow that up because we had a really good time and I really want to show how much fun I had on the internet to all my friends and they, they put a location there and then the entire world is there and it receives where it might've seen, you know, my family and maybe a couple other people that knew about the spot might've received very little pressure traditionally over the last 50 years now it's seeing 200 people's worth of pressure and over harvest and littering and everything else with that. There's also the, um, the idea of that if you, even if you hit an area, like you mentioned a town name, um, people may go there and it may be shot out, but then they start branching out. So now the hot spot no longer is a very focused spot, but all of the areas surrounding that, because this spot now sucks people start branching out, trying to salvage a bird trip, that kind of a thing. And now you have a bigger area that's absolutely hammered. And, um, largely our wild birds, um, not talking pheasants, that kind of a thing. Huns a bit, chuckers, absolutely. But cubby birds specifically needed to be, need to be hunted mindfully in order to sustain those cubby birds. Hmm. And if somebody puts a location on the internet, and I absolutely, um, you know, e- e-scout when I'm going a place because loose lips sink ships. And if you can give me a little breadcrumb, I'm going to take what I learned from that little breadcrumb and I'm going to extrapolate it out because I don't want to go to that spot. Mm. But at the same point in time, if we're talking cubby birds, you and I go in there and we shoot a few birds and then somebody else that saw the same tip on the internet comes in there and shoots mm. birds and a few more birds and it's just a trickle down effect. It's just this snowball. Yeah. And it leaves a little bit more litter, that kind of a thing. Next thing you know, those cubbies are gone and there's no seed birds to reestablish those cubbies the next go around. And that's talking cubby birds specifically. Uh, Sure. That's my experiences with, with those, those, those types of things. And even a lot of our state lands, you know, people leaving gates open uh, littering, that kind of stuff. Those state lands can be shut down in a heartbeat. It's a little harder to shut down the federal land. Um, sure. State land stuff can absolutely be shut down in a heartbeat for any given reason. A, a rancher with a grazing permit can say, the hunters have been leaving my gates open. And the next thing you know, there's padlocks on those gates. And, and it's gone. It kind of ruins the party for everybody. It's kind of like pooping in the swimming pool. It just mm. doesn't work for anybody after that. Nobody, sure. nobody poops in the swimming pool. Yeah. <laughs> So you gotta be a special person if you're going to keep <laughs> <Yeah>. swimming in that. <laughs> you gotta be a little bit more ruthless than I am. 
<laughs> oh, thanks for uh, thanks for unpacking that. That's something else we've we've really kind of covered here. Just uh, just because uh, it's a topic, it's a hot button topic. People love talking about it, and I get it. Um, well, and then, but, but really, the, the argument uh, against you know uh, the people that are saying, "Oh, it's not that big of a deal," is that it's public land and it's it's my resource too. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. I don't sure spoon feed you to ensure your access to that resource though. You have that resource as a taxpaying American with a hunting license. You have absolutely every right to that resource. I do. I will never attempt to run anybody off of our public lands and our our public resources, but that doesn't mean that I need to spoon feed you and show you how to get to the X on the map to find birds. And sure. A lot of it is just kind of, uh, it can be extrapolated out and this is not nice, but it can be extrapolated out as outright laziness. Like, Look, I've spent an entire lifetime building these quote-unquote pins on Onyx. And some of them are not on Onyx. Some of them are just memories of places, that kind of a thing. Or my dad took me here once, and I, I don't remember how to get back in there, and I'm going to find my way back in there. And then you, sure. you discover that stuff, and you spent a lifetime building this. And somebody that's brand new to it, it's like, okay, well, I want that too. Hmm. And it's like, man, I I kind of I kind of put in a lot of effort to get this. Yeah, a lot of time, a lot of effort. Absolutely help you out and help you with the knowledge base, but I'm not going to just give you the experience that I earned. And I think that would be shortchanging you and finding your own spots. Like there's nothing better than going into an X that you put on a map that nobody helped you with and going in there and saying, I think this might hold birds, dropping some dogs and find birds. There's nothing better than that. And nobody can take that experience away from you. The moment that uh, you well, my buddy gave me this pin. Well, it's not, it's not my spot. That's his spot. And it's not that it cheapens it, but it just doesn't have the same luster of something that I discovered on my own, drop dogs and verified that what I knew was the truth. It's uh, yeah. Cause again, you can learn from people or or, uh, say someone reaches out to you or me and says, Hey, I want to hunt sharp tails. Well, yeah. Okay. Here's some things you can look for. Yeah. Food, land, hills, whatever. But then that, that experience, because I can relate with that, with my sh- first sharptail hunt, I did all the questions and, hey, what do I look for? Blah, 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 blah. When I found my first sharptail, I shot my first sharptail, it was the most exciting thing because I put in a shit ton of miles yeah. and I did all the research yeah. and the questions, but no one gave me a pin, no one gave me a location, yeah. but it, it was reward, more rewarding, way more rewarding than you dropping a pin to me and say, hey, well, go here. Yeah, so, so much better. And even like the, the general area thing, that, that's fine. But like, I remember, uh, my first blue grouse, like I literally hiked my hind parts off to find that bird. And then because I had that bird, I had one in my hand, I popped its crop and I go, I don't know what the hell that is. Yeah. And so I took some pictures of it and I don't know what that is, but I know where to find more of it. And I just started sure. building that pattern for lack of a better phrase and bass fishing, they call it a pattern. You know, you get a bite and it tells you a little bit of information. And then you get another bite and it tells you a little bit more information. Next thing you know, you're ripping lips right and left because you just took that little snowball of information and just yeah. expanded it. And then it's it's the same with our birds down here. Like, well, this thing that looked like this held birds and it was awesome. I bet you the thing right next to it that looks just like it probably holds birds too. <laughs> and uh, I so when you see those questions, you know, like on Facebook or, or things like that, it, it, it comes, I try to filter it for myself of, is it really a lack of knowledge of how to ask? Because like when you were talking about it, you asked the questions and the questions are, what am I looking for as far as 
plant species, um, you know, shelter height, hills, topography, that kind of thing. Those sure. are the right questions. So if somebody approaches me with the right questions, I am absolutely 100% sure. helpful. Here's a picture of what it should look like. I have pictures. Mm -hmm. Here's pictures. This is what you are looking for. Uh, sure. But if it's if it comes to it like a, I want success now, it's kind of like the the spoiled little girl from Willy Wonka. It's like I want it. In sure. Like no, no, sorry. <laughs> yeah. if you want it now? There's plenty of really good outfitters around. Cut them a check. They will absolutely. Sure. I'm not <laughs> gladly take that. <laughs> um, here's a last question on this: is is naming a state hot spotting to you? No. Is saying Colorado is the freaking bomb, and, and you need to come hunt Colorado. Is that is that hot spotting to you? No, not at all. Not at all. Because uh, how many different ecotones, ecosystems, all that good stuff are in the state of Colorado? You guys have got everything high desert to literally like higher than alpine. So like mm. if I'm looking for scale quail in Colorado and I'm dropping it on uh, dropping a dog on Pikes Peak, I'm not going to find him. So, <laughs> oh, you haven't been to my spots and I'm place on Pikes Peak. <laughs> you know, what I mean? in the sense of that's not even that's not even tying it to a habitat type. You know what I mean? Sure. To me, a state, um, and we all get like the, the pheasants forever, quail forever, state forecast, and I'm sure you watch them like a hawk as much as I do. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes you're even wondering like, because I've gone to some of those states where like, oh, it's going to be a banner year, and you're like, BS. No. <laughs> how, how is, uh, how is uh, this state tar parks and tourism getting getting bought off on this? You know what I mean? But um, me, <laughs> A state is absolutely not. And when you start talking like sure. specific towns that you stayed in, that kind of a thing, because, um, you know, there's usually like if I stayed in XYZ town and I hunted outside of that, it's like, okay, now we're, now we're starting to talk hotspotting territory. Um, counties where there's small counties, that kind of a thing. That's probably pretty darn close to hotspotting too, because, um, uh, especially if you're dealing with uh, birds that like a particular type of habitat and you start looking at a map of where that habitat is around a mm. county or a town, it's like, man, that's going to focus everybody in that whatever drainage or something like that. That's, that's sure. getting a, a bit much for me. Um, you yeah. asked me where I was yeah. from. I'm from Southeast Arizona. Everybody knows where the hell that is. That's, <laughs> that's about as close as I'm comfortable with. Um, yeah. That's pretty specific for you, I feel. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm in the uh, southern United States, but not the biscuits and gravy one. Yeah. So, hey, good, good. Give me some biscuits and gravy every day. Argue, every day. Hard to argue southern food, man. Hard to. Yeah, I mean, it really is. Yeah. It, it really is. Um, well, Robert, we're gonna start uh, start kind of wrapping this thing up. Um, couple uh, couple more questions for you here. Uh, kind of what my staple I like to kind of end with yeah. um, as as each of my guests yeah. here is, you know, what what piece of advice? What piece of advice would you give uh, a new hunter out there? Um, you know, maybe just getting into this whole world of upland hunting, bird dogs. Well, you know, what, what would you share? It, this one's a, a two piecer. Um, find a mentor, right? Um, that. Uh, like even I've been doing this forever. And like I said, I started working, uh, some dogs, my dogs with Guy Mollicone and have learned so much and just windows of experience with that guy. And I've been doing this forever and I'm not an expert by any stretch, but down here in this part of the world, I, I know some things and people ask me questions, whether that qualifies as anything or not. I don't know. But point being, I have learned a ton from somebody that has more experience than I do in that venue of dog training, that kind of a thing. 
I'm sure if you contacted a professional sporting clay shooter, you could absolutely learn how to shoot a shotgun better. So finding those mentors and the things that you want to do better, but at the same point in time, vetting those mentors and maybe checking up on their reputation because you can learn some really bad habits. Mm. Mentors that um, extend their hand in a nice way, but aren't necessarily showing you the most ethical ways to get things done. Mm. That's really good. That is really good. I don't think I don't think, I don't think anyone has explained that side of things. I think it's I hear a lot well, of think, find a mentor, I, find which is I think is I think awesome. in the world now, like if I you know scroll through and find a guy with a giant Instagram following, that doesn't mean he knows a damn thing or he does anything ethically at all. It just means mm. he has a giant Instagram following. I don't know what he knows or anything. And some of the people I I interact with that absolutely know the most have tiny, tiny, tiny followings in that world but have cult-like followings in the real world, the tangible world. <laughs> sure. Because they're just absolutely, you know, dog whisperers, that kind of a thing. So yeah. I think vetting your mentors is huge. And I don't know how to do that, but uh, ask some people that associate around them. Uh, sure. Like, hey, how is this guy really in life? Um, that kind of a deal. Is he is he an ethical hunter? I see you hunted with him and you're not anymore. That kind of a thing. And he just happens to be in my neighborhood. Sure. So. I, I'm not sure how to skin that cat, but I think, I think. Yeah, that's good advice right there. Huge, but a vetted mentor that is teaching you the right way and, and not instilling bad habits. Yeah, I love that, man. I love that. All right, sir. Um, we're going to go through a couple, a couple rapid yeah. fire questions here. Um, I, I did add a couple here, so this might be a little bit longer than, right. than our typical one. So, um, awesome, man. Awesome. All right. So first one uh, for you, Robert, what came first, the dog, the gun, or the bird? The birds. The birds. When I was a kid, I was a flat-out heathen. I'd shoot them on the ground when they were running away because uh, I wanted birds, and I wanted I wanted that success. And you talk about the, the stages of a sportsman, which are kind of huge, and I kind of pushed that narrative a little bit from the hunter safety side. I just went through the normal stages of a sportsman of anybody else. And the first one is some shooting, obviously, but then it's the success. You need that success hmm. to, to dig those spurs in and, and keep that love going. And uh, then it, then you want a lot of success. And then the methodology becomes more important later on. Hmm. And then you come back to that conservationist phase where you're going to plant trees that, of which you'll never be, enjoy the shade of kind of a deal. And uh, I'm in that part of the now hmm. where like I... I, the methodology is incredibly important to me to how I do things, but I'm also going to start thinking about how to plant trees, metaphorically plant trees of the shade I will never enjoy. Sure. So it was always the. Mm. Oh, that's gold right there, man. That's gold. I love that, that progression because I, I've been in that progression. I started out all about the kill, kill, kill limits. And I've, I've moved through that now into as long as there was good dog work for me, that was a man, success. Oh man, isn't and it that's a beautiful thing isn't about that hunting. a great I love measure that. though, because even if the vest doesn't come back heavier, man, if you had some good dog work and your shotgunning wasn't there, I don't, I don't know of a better measure of success. And I, fortunately I've, uh, uh, found myself around the right people that all we care about is the dog work. Yeah. Every. And the yeah. supporting need to shoot the dog work or uh, the, the shooting needs to support the dog work. But the, sure. the measure of every day when we're sitting on the tailgate BS and is the dog work like, man, yeah. you're on fire. That's what, you're, that's what I remember yeah, from, or, from hunts and, and people in the community. We, but, but yeah, it's, it's those we that had a stand couple out. of days last year where we had seven dogs on the ground at one time and everybody produced really good dog work and birds 
Mm. We shot horrifically that day. We shot horrifically <laughs> that day. But at the same point in time, it's like, man, you can't argue the dog work. And those are just keystone sure. mind, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I love that, man. Thanks for explaining that that way. That was, that was beautiful. Um, okay, uh, let's see here. Why do you hate the Griffs so much? So <laughs> I told you I was yeah, going to ask you this at I'm, some I'm point. I'm glad this came up. And, uh, once again, with your reach, uh, I've never met a bird dog that <laughs> I've said it a thousand times, but I still don't think people believe it. I've never met a bird dog I don't like. And the Griffs lately, it was kind of just their turn. Um, so I go through like, phases where i'll pick on wire hairs for a while and then i'll pick on pointers for a while and then you know fat labs for a while and it was kind of there's a there was a hole in the arsenal and it was like man i haven't picked on griffs in a while or at all (laughs) they're up uh if you look back through i mean i've been building the memes for five years now or so there's some griff stuff in there that's older and there's some good deep cuts in the catalog if anybody's ever interested but um, a few Griff owners came out and they're like, hey, roast a Griff. And so I started roasting them. Then people are like, wow, you're roasting Griffs. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I was kind of asked to. And everybody I know that has, them <laughs> has provided some positive feedback. But yeah, it's, it's, it's nothing Griffs yeah, at all. Awesome. Um, I think they're <laughs> absolutely adorable goofballs. And they remind me of the closest living thing to a Muppet. And there's nothing. We all, we all <laughs> a use Muppet. a little bit of that joy in our lives. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Okay. Um, Moving on here. What gun are you carrying into the field and why? Uh, It depends on what for. So um, I'm a a believer in tools and uh, a lot of things can be a hammer, but you know what is a really good hammer? A hammer. So uh, (laughs) my, my go-tos, my, my, I would say my, my North American uh, Upland wing shooting battery is going to be a 16-gauge uh, Connecticut Shotgun's RBL uh, that, I, that Connecticut Shotgun put together for me. It's beautiful. Uh, it's a pride and joy. It's one of those guns that I plan on being buried with. Um, just absolutely mm. way better than I deserve. And it can handle, you know, the bigger birds, bigger country, that kind of stuff really well. It weighs about six and a quarter pounds. Um, I'm a big believer that there's wow. nothing you can't do in the uplands at all that you can't do with a 20-gauge. Uh, so I have a really nice little, uh, I think made in the seventies Ithaca model 120 gauge that I shoot a lot. If I'm ever in a shooting pump, okay. that's the gun I reach for. Uh, it's got a little bit short the pool and I'm kind of a little guy. So a lot of times, uh, when you're struggling with wing shooting, it's your moving mount that causes the problem and, uh, get away with mm-hmm. a little bit more with that gun. If I'm in a shooting slump and then this year, the majority of the last season, I carried a fair seed. 28 gauge side by side, uh, English stock, two triggers. And that is a five pound little magic wand. And, uh, in 28 gauge, it's perfect for, for quail size birds. I I never felt under horsepowered on, on those birds. I think if you fed it the right food, it would be super ethically to shoot pheasants over pointing dogs. Um, because I just don't shoot far stuff and I don't shoot birds that aren't pointed. So, um, it worked out really well. Um, with that, Um, I don't shoot it particularly good. Uh, but if I'm going to miss, I might as well carry a five pound gun. <laughs> exactly. Then your, your, your shoulders are going to thank yeah, exactly. you later. So, <laughs> um, is it, is it true? I think you were, I think this was you who was telling me, don't you have a, quite a, a large Browning collection? Uh, I've got, I've got a decent amount. And, uh, so it all kind of started with, uh, after I, uh, kind of 
aged up out of the 20 gauge. Uh, my old man had a um, Moroku era Browning Auto 5. And so like a large part of my teenage years, I shot everything with that Auto 5. And I love it to death. It is a prized family heirloom. And um, don't get me wrong, it's not a Belgian Browning. It's not a Sweet 16 or anything like that. Just a run-of-the-mill Moroku Browning Auto 5. And I love it to death. And so then I started realizing that there's all these different companies that make are made at the time licensed Browning Auto 5 variants, like the Remington Model 11, huh. which I got, I got oh. from my grandpa when he uh, passed away. I got a Model 11. So next thing I know, I got two of these things, these humpback shotguns. And then a little bit more research, and I was like, well, they made them in 16 and 22. So I kind of, not <laughs> having a lot of money, you kind of got to pick and shop here and there and, and search estates and that kind of a deal. And uh, ended up with a Model 11 and 20 gauge. And then, like, well, hell, people made these in 16 gauge too. And find out Savage and Springfield, you know, the 720, 740, 745s, that kind of a deal. So I snagged up a couple of those because they just, Wait, so other companies were licensed to make the the Browning models? The Browning model, well, they they were making them under their name. So like the the Remington Model 11 is a very it's a simplified Browning Auto 5. And the 735, okay. the 720, the 740s from Springfield and Savage, same guns. Same guns, hmm. not finished quite as well and uh not fetching the premium of that that Browning name. Same okay. guns. They're identical. And so I just kind of started picking and choosing here and there and ended up with a, a decent little handful of humpback shotguns in 12, 20, and 16 gauge. And um, about the only thing I really use them for much anymore um, is shooting some doves and only some town hill cranes with that, that uh, Moroku Auto 5 12 gauge. Um, I'm not a big fan of auto loaders on walking pursuits because they throw holes and I'm big on picking up your damn holes. So I, I like brake sure. guns for walking pursuits, but somewhere where you're going to sit in a duck blind on a dove stool, uh, waterfowl blind, that kind of thing, where all your holes are going to be in an area and you can pick them up at the end of the day. I'm a, I like, I like those guns for that. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Uh, a few more here. Uh, what's, what's a new piece of gear you added last season that, uh, that you really fell in love with? Um, so... Uh, I didn't add it last season. I'm a big fan of the uh, Garmin Alpha 200, but the big one from last year was uh, probably that Final Rise Sidekick. Um, I've yeah. been running the Summit since inception. I was on the pre-order for the the Summit. I love, love, love that vest. And so when uh, Matt said he was coming out with a vest that catered a little bit more to uh, quail hunters and training, that kind of thing, I had to have one. So um, adding that just the bag because I can pull the summit bag off, add the bag yeah. to my system and go to work and have a, a more streamlined setup for training in the late summer months for me and chasing quail, which are small birds. I can fit a bajillion quail in that little sidekick and being kind of a gear guy. Uh, I've never found a piece of gear that was useful at the truck when I'm not at the truck. So I carry a lot of gear and for being a minimalist vest, yeah. it still allows me to carry a pile of gear. If you ever go through Instagram, I was going to say, you, you did a, a tailgate kind of dump on a, on that vest, a sidekick, yeah. and you could fit a crap ton oh, like, in that in You that know, vest. like the Dock and Deadfell trainers, I fit four pheasants in it. Four pheasant Dock Deadfell yeah. trainers on it. And I'm like, if this is a minimalist vest, I don't know what a minimalist vest is because it doesn't force me to reduce my gear a whole lot at all. 
I, sure. I took it blue grouse hunting and I, like a weird little benefit that I wasn't expecting when I took it blue grouse hunting is it's pretty thick woods, probably comparable to a lot of the Northwoods grouse hunters type stuff is it was more compact and I got through the woods a lot, a lot easier, yeah. that little yeah. vest. And, um, it's Arizona, it's hot and just not having fabric on your back, even though Matt's mesh on the side kit or the, the summit and the Sure, great, breathable and all well, that. But having no fabric back there is is life changing for our early season hunts. So, are you when you run the sidekick? Are you running it with the shoulder harness, or are you taking the yes. harness off? Because I still carry okay. a pile of gear, and it's still heavy. I'm running the same uh, shell pockets as on the summit. The water bottle holders, the whole night. Oh, so you put you took the summit pockets, those nice yeah. big ones. Because That's when I idea. when I got my sidekick, it was just the game bag. So I literally am taking yeah. the summit game bag off and putting on the sidekick game bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Land. Okay. And it's phenomenal because I need the water capacity. It tears up sure. the water capacity. I like having all the gear and I like those deep shell pockets uh, for, yeah. you know, a throw bird or anything like that um, while training, all that good stuff. I just like, I don't like giving. Yeah, th- those, those deep pockets yeah. are nice. I like those a lot. Yeah. That's awesome. Love yep. it, man. Um, all right, a couple more here. Uh, favorite breed of dog besides the ones you've ever owned? So um, living in Arizona, I don't know why it never occurred to me to get a damn pointer. Um, there, <laughs> I, I can't think of a pointing dog off the top of my head that has a better reputation in the heat for stabbing mm. birds. And um, I don't know why... Nobody I grew up with, nobody I hunted around until maybe the last 10 years. I'd never seen a pointer until probably 2000. Uh, okay. And I just don't know why nobody ran them down here for years. And you're starting to see a lot more of them. People that actually don't have their head as far up their butt as I did are running some pointers. And they're really nice. <laughs> My buddy Phil has a absolute bomber of a pointer. It's the nicest desert quail dog I have ever seen in my whole life. And, uh, mm. I think it came out of Austin Turley and, uh, just an absolute bomber of a pointer. And every time you put him on the ground, <laughs> he puts on an absolute clinic and it doesn't matter how hot it is. And so it just, it gets you scratching your head of why the hell didn't I think of that? <laughs> Good old pointer, man. Those dogs are freaking yeah. beasts. Beasts. Um, all right. And then, uh, all right, this one, this one might be hard for you. Maybe, maybe not favorite bird to hunt and why. And I think you're going to say a quail, but you have to tell me which. Um, okay. So I have been asked this question before and I always have a cop out answer of the one that's in in front of the dog, but because you asked nicely, (laughs) um, if I had to pick one, uh, I'd probably be scale quail. And the reason is, is when I was a kid, we would come where I grew up is not where I live now. We would find a couple of cubbies of scalies every, every season. And they would just run the old farts that I was hunting with to death. And so when we struck a covey of scalies, it was essentially after about the first two, 300 yards, it was my covey of scalies. I built a relationship (laughs) with that bird on a lot of solo days in the desert where, like I said, the covey would rise. And as soon as, as as soon as the, the, the pursuit got hard, the other guys would turn back to the truck and that was my cubby mm. to my heart's extent. Um, they will absolutely drive you nuts. I don't know of a bird that you can watch pitch in and absolutely disappear like scalies can. I, I don't know how many 
hundreds of times I've watched the Cubby rise. You watch exactly where they go over there and there's <laughs> nothing. And, uh, <laughs> but every now and then when you about twice, maybe on the high side, a half a dozen times a season, you push them into the right cover and they stick like nobody's business and they come out of your pant legs. Uh, <laughs> for a bird that has made an, an, an entire reputation on running away from people, when they hold good and you get really good dog work on them, it is really something special. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I tried my, my first hand at Scaly's this past season and they, uh, they gave me the, oh, gave me the slip. Them. I love them. Kind of like we were talking yeah. a bad turkey earlier. Turkey, work for it. <laughs> man, I love them. I love I kind of, yeah, that's awesome. I'm kind of a big fan of uh, being fed my own guts and asking for seconds kind of a deal. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, two more here for you, sir. Uh, your go-to hunting snack on a trip? Uh, some form of uh, wild game jerky. Jerky's always, jerky's always okay. a hit. Yeah, jerky. Jerk, jerky is yeah, life. I, uh, granola bars, um, those are always in my vest, kind of rolling around somewhere. Yeah, you're a, you're a healthy no, guy. No, I am not. I, am, but, um, <laughs> I just I understand what it takes to fuel the big fat machine, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of, a lot of miles to cover. Uh, last one, beverage of choice after a hunt. You know the answer to this because you've talked to some Arizona before. <laughs> it's always the same Pedialyte, with you guys. Gatorade, water, something like that. Because, uh, <laughs> Pedi- Hold on, Pedialyte, oh, really? Dude, Pedialyte's a game changer, man. Pedialyte's oh. a game changer. It's like what my kids get when they're vomiting for three oh, days yeah, it's, straight. It's amazing. Cut it in half with some water and it'll change your life. A bird hunting, but um, yeah, it's, it's it's something like that, something uh, hydrating. If I'm going to have a, a libation with a, a good close friend after a particularly special day, um, pretty hard to argue a cold beer or a nice glass of something. But that's usually a back after we get home. Uh, out in the field, it's it's about rehydrating and getting everybody back again to do it again tomorrow. So um, water, Gatorade, something like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I actually lied. I actually had yeah, one more for you. Um, this was, this was, I was going to ask you earlier. Okay. Here's the, here's the closing yeah. question here, Robert. All right. Why, why is your meme game so strong? I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you've, 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 I'm just going to, let me say, you've come out with some damn fine memes and it, there are things that pointed at Britney's pointed at whatever podcasters. I laugh my yeah, ass off at happy. Uh, I don't know that it is. Um, I really try not to farm out work. People are hitting me with ideas all the time. I'm like, oh, then make it. Please share it. And uh, a lot of times they're like, oh, I don't know how to do that and whatever. And so occasionally you'll see me put up one and it's like in consultation with that kind of a deal. But I really don't like that. I would rather come up with something on my own. I'm kind of a anti-plagiarism sure. freak when it comes to that kind of a thing. And um, even to the point where like I've came up with similar ideas before and I'm like, oh, I didn't even know. Uh, that it kind of matched somebody else's idea, so give them the credit for it. I'm pretty when sure, it comes sure. to that thing, but I have no idea. I think it's from being a uh, kind of an honorary get off my lawn old man life, <laughs> even though I'm not an old man yet, theoretically. But I, I have no idea. Um, I do, <laughs> I do have places where I fish for material, like uh, some Facebook groups that you can browse through and see something wildly absurd, and then kind of blow. Play with it, um, but yeah, it's it's all kind of uh, driven by current events. Um, every now sure. and then, there's a little bit more of a serious note to it, and I think it's my way of um, getting a message across sometimes without without getting preachy. 
uh, and standing mm -hmm. on a soapbox, it can be like, hey, this is a really bad idea. And can't we all laugh at that? And subconsciously, you're planting in people's mind that that's a bad idea. Or sure. um, you take something that we all love our dogs and we buy our dogs based on stereotypes. And you just kind of take one of those stereotypes and make fun of that a little bit. But we all that's because we love them. That's why we bought them that way. Right? Brits are soft. Sure. Ha 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 kind of a deal. Well, how can I make this about Brits being soft? And that's why we love them, because they're great family and everything sure. like that. Um I think just taking the things that we love about the game that we do and just trying not to take it too darn seriously. Mm. Yeah, that's that's key right there. Just we, I think we can all laugh ourselves a little bit yeah, and yeah, have a little fun. With that's we, the easiest one too, is that every single one of those memes that I post is a little bit me too. So <laughs> sure. like I'm, I'm part of this whole absurd mess too. And I think if you can't make fun of yourself, you don't have much room to make fun of anything else. Do you go mm. back digging through that stuff? A lot of that stuff is me too. Um, I sure. That's try a, to keep it lighthearted and, and, and you don't want to jump on somebody and be a bully or anything like that. So if you include parts of you in that, like, Hey, it's me too. Like, um, I'm an sure. upland hipster too. Like I like certain stuff that hipsters absolutely like. And if that's the qualifier, then I'm an upland hipster too. So yeah. I don't I love that, man. That's a good, yeah. that's a great perspective. Great outlook on it. So thank you for, uh, thanks yeah. for keeping us entertained. I, I will say I, that. It's it has highly certainly slowed down because man, oh man, I have beaten the crap out of some territory and finding some new material every now and then. the well is <laughs> it's gonna be tricky a, a little bit lately, but yeah, something always yeah, comes up and we, we have something to jump on and laugh at for a minute and about our day. And if, yeah. it, if it can make people smile, great. If it can make people smile and think, then awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Even better. Well, Robert, what's your, uh, what's a way for people to follow along? What's your uh, Instagram again? Borderland underscore Upland on Instagram. And, uh, that's about the only platform I, I really do any, anything on. Um, even, even my Facebook is plugged right into that. So if I post something on Instagram, it shows up on Facebook too. So okay. right on. only place right I do on, anything. Man. I don't have anything for sale. I don't have anything profound for anybody. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so well, I, I will say thank you for your time. Thanks for uh, just laying out some of your story. And yeah, if, if I was going to be doing one, this is a good one to do. So uh, thank you for for being. Well, thank you, yeah. absolutely, sir. I, I yeah, can't wait for uh, see what you post next. And I know we'll be uh, we'll be talking again soon. So thank you. And that's a wrap of episode 88 with Robert, actually 87, I'm sorry, <laughs> episode 87 with, uh, with Robert Poor. Robert, thank you so much uh, just for taking the time. And I know you haven't done a podcast before like this, and I've, I've been kind of hounding you for a little while. Um, just thanks for your time, man. Thanks for your, just your vulnerability and being honest with um, just your story and your season and um, talking dogs and, and birds and just unpacking uh, hunting wild birds through your lens and through your experiences. Um, I greatly appreciate it. Um, it was a ton of fun. I, I had a lot of laughs. I hope our listeners did as well. Um, so thanks so much, man. I appreciate you and uh, would love to get down, hunt with you someday um, down in AZ or wherever it might be. Maybe we'll meet up here, uh, maybe in Colorado, um, maybe hunt some blues together, something like that. I uh, would love to, love to get out with you. 
Hey guys, that's a wrap of this episode. Thanks so much for following along. Thanks for uh, investing into the podcast. Um, whether you are uh, just a listener of the podcast, whether you are a Patreon supporter, you share it on social media, whatever it might be, um, everything counts and everything matters. Thank you for um, just your continued support in a variety of ways into the Upland Rookie Podcast. It's been so much fun doing this with you. Uh, really, really appreciate it. And uh, until next week, go put some miles on those boots and follow your favorite bird dog. Take care.